This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. Hey, traders, this is Eddie Horn from Top Step, and this is Limit Up. This is where we talk with traders, market participants, and trading psychologists to help you improve your trading. Now, today I'm joined by Annie Kanata. All right, she is the community manager here at Top Step Trader. Annie, how are you? Hey, Addie, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Very nice to have you here. Annie, today we're going to be talking with Peter Davies of Jigsaw Trading. And what we're going to do is we're going to discuss the seasonal volatility in the markets. And I thought this would be a great time to bring you in here to talk about our volatility growing in the Facebook community. You know, Eddie, that's a great segue because our community has really taken off. More and more traders are wanting to join our Facebook group each and every day. I must say, Annie, uh, you put together a fantastic opportunity for the traders in the social trading atmosphere. And, you know, it's growing in such a positive way. Traders almost need that check-in daily uh, with all the uh, fantastic opportunities and so forth. Trader chat, breaking news, market updates, top step videos. I mean, there's just so much going on there. It's a great place to talk about trade action, market movement. And occasionally, we have some of our coaches checking in uh, with comments. You know, I really have to compliment our members of the Top Step Trading community. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. They really took the ball and they ran with it. They're always providing their support resources, their shared experiences with others in the community. And, you know, our coaches do stop by to comment and participate in the conversation. So all you need to do is go to topsteptrader.com slash Facebook, and then you can start engaging as well. So it's a great place for everyone to get in on the conversation. You know, Annie, with all this information shared and uh, Facebook community growing as it is, I'm going to invite you to stick around and have a listen to Jigsaw Trading's Peter Davies and his podcast on trading volatility. I would love that. Peter Davies is a great friend of Top Step Trader. He always shares awesome information with us, so looking forward to it. Let's get started. Without further ado, Peter Davies of Jigsaw Trading. Peter Davies has had a working relationship with many institutional and retail traders since 2011. As a trader and owner of Jigsaw Trading, Peter feels that in order to maintain a competitive edge, it's necessary to speak to traders of all levels of experience and from all walks of life. His goal is to understand their needs as well as where they struggle. Peter talks to several new traders each week. Would you please welcome Peter Davies. Hello, Peter. Hey, Eddie. How are you doing? Pretty good. Very nice to have you here with us today. And we're going to be talking about volatility and mentioning volatility. Boy, that's uh -huh. been one of the uh, the drivers here in a lot of the markets. Yeah, absolutely. Peter, how'd you get started in trading? Well, I guess there's, there's two parts to that question is, is kind of how and why. So I, I got started in trading because I, I knew nothing about managing money. And uh, I met people who said they did know something about managing money. And it turned out they were, they were wrong. <laughs> so I lost about 30% of my net worth to financial advisors. And, you know, when that happened, I just thought, you know, I'm paying these people to, to lose my money. It's like it's almost better if I just lose it myself. And so I, I didn't see there was a downside in getting involved in managing my own pension, basically. That's what I started out doing. What was your first thought about improving that? What did you tell yourself you needed to do? 
Uh, get educated, basically. Meet people who are doing it for a living. Find out as much as I could. I, I went to the normal place. I went to the internet first. And um, one of the good things is I came into this completely cynical because of losing money first. Right. I've also got a technical background. So, you know, I, I came across a, an internet forum that's quite popular in England. And they were all raving about this one book. And uh, this one book's got all these strategies in it. And then people were raving about it. So I went through each one of these strategies and I actually back-tested every one of them. They're all nonsense. And it was that, and it's like, well, you know, the, this is obviously not the best way to go around it. So, um, you know, I traveled a lot. I was in Asia. I traveled a lot to Singapore. I went to a lot of networking events in Singapore, met a lot of people who were trading. There's a lot of big banks there. You know, I met a guy still in touch with him there. We retired at 35. Uh, he was writing barrier options. He, was, he ran a team of traders writing barrier options for Forex, you know, big barrier options. And um, so I just met lots of people like that just to try and find out what, what they were doing and how they were trading because um, I, I learned very quickly the internet wasn't exactly the best place to learn at that time. I, I basically through that, I actually met a trader who was – trading a $30 million account. It was a boutique fund he was trading for. And um, he'd already built his own account up to $18 million. Although you could say some of that was based on inside information. But he had uh, four traders working for him. And they would hand him stocks to trade each day, tell him what was in play. You know, if there was a stock announcing earnings, they would tell him, this is the company. They usually under-report this is how the market reacts when they exceed expectations, all that kind of thing. And he had four researchers. So the first thing I started doing as, as kind of a serious trader was doing that, basically, looking at which stocks were in play at the start of the day and then, you know, watching those stocks as they took off using scanners. There's a lot of people that still do that now. The downside of it is the sheer amount of work you have to do to prepare and you might, for instance, like 12 really nice stocks that you've got on your screens to start with and you're waiting to see which one's going to take off. And none of them do. Or all the moves in the pre-market. And, you know, I couldn't have the amount of stocks this guy did with these four researchers. Right. So that was a downside, really. And um, I was also using level two with that. Level two. And, What's level two? Well, it's like the equivalent of the dome for stocks. And uh, at that time, you used to have the level two, and it was like a two-sided screen. It's got the prices. It's got the market maker ID. So you could tell if Solomon Smith Barney or Goldman Sachs or HSBC were coming into the market on a particular stock and at which price. You know, I was using that, but not very successfully. And when I, then I started to get some education in futures, uh, looking to get education in futures order flow. And kind of the big difference between chasing around stocks in play and chasing around futures is futures are basically active every day. So with the stocks, you are basically always running around to find out what was in play. There's all these scanners out there. I can't even remember what they're called, half of them. And you're getting all these scanners and the scanner's flagging a stock and you go over and you bring up the chart and you miss the move. And it's a bit frustrating, but with futures, crude moves every day. S&P moves every day. Okay, there's the summertime and all that. But like, you know, crude, gold, S&P, you know what time it opens. You know people are going to pile into the market. And so I got into futures because it was less work than the in-play stocks. You know, with stocks, it'd be very difficult to pick a kind of average stock and day trade it every day because they're not always in play. They're, they're flat a lot of the time, which is why, you know, these, these traders like this guy he had four researchers. With futures, you can trade the same futures every day. Yeah. And um, and that's a big advantage. And then, you know, I know, still know quite a lot of stock traders and some of the stuff they're doing now 
to day trade stocks, I just find a bit wacky. I know one guy, and what he does, he actually goes fishing in dark pools. And so there's like there's all these dark pools in stocks, which is basically like a futures exchange, but with the lights off. Mm-hmm. It's like going into some kind of weird sex party, and you're just kind of feeling around to to find someone you like. Be careful. You're just with trying it. to yeah, you're trying to find if somebody else on the other side, but you can't see them. So you're putting an order right. and see if somebody bites, and it's like. That sounds like a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with, you know, one of the things about the futures is everybody can see everybody's orders. Everybody can see everybody's trades. There's no dot pools. There's not really any significant amount of off exchange trading. It's, um, it's, a, it's a more level playing field. Right, and right. Um, so even though I didn't expect to get into futures, I, th- I thought I was going to learn more about order flow with futures. I just, it was just like, wow, this is so much simpler. Than mm-hmm. stocks and and then seeing what's happened in stock work the world of stocks after that you know with a lot of the HFTs you know doing arbitrage between all the exchanges it's like ugh, you know it really depends on the person I mean uh, mm-hmm. one of the things you mentioned the education 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 and it sort of opened some doors for you the more you mm-hmm. learned the more you understood and uh, it directed you to something that you would like a little bit more. And another thing you mentioned, patience. You know, mm-hmm. y- you got to have patience. you got to have patience of a saint. You know, my patience, I've got of a St. Bernard. You know, it's not something that uh, comes easy. It- it's mm-hmm. almost a trial and error. Once bitten, twice shy. And, you know, I've, gosh, I've been bitten more than twice. And yeah. uh, sooner or later, you're going to realize, okay, this is not the way to go. Now, you progressed, you did your homework, you were attracted to the education mm-hmm. side, learning and progressing. Now, yeah. what you've did now is uh, you've progressed into a professional trader and, of course, an award-winning educator. From what you have picked up from your mm-hmm. mentor and yeah. you're teaching hundreds, if not thousands of other traders, let's talk about trading seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, trading seasons come and go. With markets changing with the wind. I mean, uh, one day, a severe rally. Next day, big bear. Now, yeah. we've seen some big swings in volatility this year. And that's it's a big player in a lot of the markets here. Uh, one of the main drivers. Now, maintaining proper actions. Let me ask you, how does one adjust to volume as it changes? One of the things that I teach people is that um, you know, if you because of these volatility changes, if you gave your average retail trader a working setup, they would absolutely fail to stick with it and to make a profit of it. And one of the reasons they would do that is because the market does go through these cycles where the volatility shifts. And I would say, you know, you can go five, six, seven weeks with consistent volatility, but then it will just change slightly. So there's this kind of like ebb and flow of volatility that occurs and it will throw any setup out that you're using. So, so, but, so like a, a gear up and a gear down. Yeah. Yeah. Gear up and a gear down. But that's not what we're seeing right now. So, so adjusting to that gear up and gear down is, is really about taking a step back, doing things like videoing your trades, understanding how you tell the market is different, understanding how volatility has changed, making some adjustments. But that is not what we're seeing now. So the kind of stuff we're seeing now is really exceptional and fairly rare. So we've got what is essentially a reaction to an increase in interest rates, plus some other things that people think are like fundamental changes, like maybe a trade war 
But it's probably all chest beating anyway. I don't think anybody really thinks there's going to be a big trade war mm-hmm. um, or it's going to last any other time. But, you know, I've seen articles where people say, oh, my God, if interest rates go up again, the market's going to really go wild. And it's like, no, it's not. This is a knee-jerk. It's a panic. It's a knee-jerk reaction. It will be over. But it is a violent reaction, and it is creating this creating exceptional moves. Interest rates are lower. For, for anybody who thinks interest rates are high right now, just go back to the late 80s. I remember mm-hmm. my sister having a mortgage where the interest rate is 15%. So this isn't interest rates. It's just basically a knee-jerk. Now, to adjust to this, um, I think the worst thing you can do is widen your stops. Absolute worst thing you can do. So I know a few traders, and they said, well, it's more volatile, I'll widen my stops. So they widen their stops, they get stopped out anyway, right? So one of the issues with widening your stops, right, is how do you know how wide to make them? And it's like, I, I don't know anybody who knows the answer to that. I know a lot of professional traders. Now, and I talk to them about these things, and it's like, well, how, how wide would we make them? It's like, oh, I don't know, you know, because the market's moved around so much. What are you going to do? You know, go from a 4-tick to a 30-tick stop. So the traders that I know that have tried to widen their stops have, without exception, failed. All they've done is increase the size of their losers. Now, you know, one of the things about widening your stops is it seems like the logical solution But it's also the most simple solution. It didn't require any thought. It didn't require any lateral thinking. It's kind of the least intelligent way to react to a market becoming more volatile. Mm -hmm. So one of the options I'm talking to traders about right now is there's more risk and more opportunity. So the moves are bigger. I know a trader, he kept getting stopped out for three ticks. You know, the moves after he settled were like seven to ten ticks, and now they're 30. And I said to him, look, stop with this widening your stop or stop trying to use the same stop. You know, what you need to do, wait for the move to start. If it's going to move 30 ticks, you don't actually need to get in when the setup occurs. You can wait for the reaction. And if you wait for the reaction, you've got so much more to play with now. If you wait for the reaction and you get on momentum and you know how to read the momentum, you can kind of just jump on that momentum. And if the momentum fades, you get out. You don't need a stop at all. You don't need like a fixed stock, an eight tick, a, a 10 tick, a 12 tick. You don't need that. What you need, you get on when you see the momentum in your direction. If the momentum stops, you get out straight away. Right now, hopefully what you'll do is you'll get to the next little, uh, the market moves in kind of spurts and then little range, spurt range. So the idea is you get into momentum and you hopefully you'll get to the, the first little range and that little range should hold and, and then jump to the next momentum move. So basically what you're trying to do is say, but instead of widening my stop, I'm going to look for my setup. When my setup's occurred, I'm not going to take the trade. I'm going to wait for a follow through move and then I'm going to try and jump on that uh, reaction because we've got the extra move or because we've got the extra size reaction, we've got bigger moves, you don't actually need to get in, in the same place. Let me ask you, Peter, you're going to put that trade in, not put a stop in. So you're looking for a quick in and a quick out. You're just sort of catching the wave, putting your position on, riding it a little bit and then getting out. Well, actually, you might do that. It's just a matter of being reactive. There's going to be what's going to happen with this kind of market. You're going to get into trades. You're getting in and you might get out very quickly. So the moment it starts moving, you just scratch it. So you're going to have to live with some scratch trades. But basically, you're getting in and you're trying to get in when the market's going to run. There's no point having a fixed stop, an eight-tick stop, because you might get out, might just move against three or four ticks and you get out. But basically, you're trying to see that momentum, get in on that momentum, let the market run a little bit and get you to a, a safe position. You know, if the market takes 20 ticks from your entry point, you don't really have to, you know, probably don't have to worry too much about your stop loss anymore. Right. Um, 
but it, so it's basically about trying to get on the side of a move and then ride it a little bit and, and try and get a, a bigger move, mm-hmm. uh, maybe scaling to a position. But, but getting in the same place with a bigger stop, I don't see the point because you, the move really is confirmed. Your trigger or your entry is confirmed when the market starts to move in that direction. And it's just a matter of paying for confirmation in ticks. But mm-hmm. because your reward is so much bigger now, you can pay for your confirmation in ticks and still make more money. You know, and, and sure, you can have some scratches because it is wiggling around a lot. But like, you're just trying to kind of finesse and get in on a, a, a larger move. Right. So you, you just hold back a little bit and let everybody rush the turnstiles uh, for a general admission who concert. Mm-hmm. And then you sort of gradually walk yourself in and uh, yep. find the right spot. All right. Um, Absolutely. Now, now, how about if the market's fluctuating a little more than normal? How am I going to pull the trigger? Trigger meaning, how am I going to put on the trade? What kind of probability can one expect during this period? Well, when the market is really spinning around, I think it's really difficult to enter when the market is really, you know, wiggling up and down. There are times, though, basically when it will stop and take a breather. You know, when it's going crazy, um, unless you've just seen like a cause. So, you know, we're trading this cause and effect, right? So if you've just seen a cause, you're set up. And then it starts to move away from that cause. Then obviously it's it's good to get in. If the market's just moving around, fluctuating with no real momentum behind it, there's nothing you can do. But what you can do is a couple of things you can do. Obviously, we talked about momentum earlier on. You've also got these periods where for a couple of minutes it, it will just stop and range. And if you're looking at the indices, you'll see that all three indices will do the same. They'll be they'll be moving around wildly and then they'll stop. And they'll come to that impasse. And it will only last a few minutes. But you can almost bracket that area. Just pick a side, bracket it. Because when it breaks out, it's going to move again. So that's another way, just kind of fishing for a position. But it's just different, basically. It's just a different market. But I don't think the probabilities specifically of any particular setup have changed. Uh, I just think your probability of getting stopped out with a fixed stop have gone up exponentially. So, you know, you can be right, but right. You still get stopped out. You know, the thing is, your whole day can be losing trades, right? Done mm-hmm. for the day, yeah. except my losers. But, you know, I followed my game plan. You know, I did everything that I had planned to do. I did. And some of us, it's hard to sort of believe that. I had a losing day. I got my ass handed to me. But you know what? I built some confidence. If you really think about it, and if you've been in the business long enough, you can realize that on bad days, you're actually learning a lot more than you would on a winning day because uh, it's more amplified. It hurts a little bit deeper. Uh, you know, it sticks with you a little bit longer. So those are things that uh, you know a lot of traders need to file and understand. Yeah, I mean, I agree, but it really helps if you do a review at the end of the day as well. Sure. You know, because um, I, I talk to trades and they'll say, oh, I had a really bad day. And then they'll go and review all the trades and it will like, not come away thinking, well, you know, I didn't do too badly. So um, it is a little bit difficult in the heat of the moment to to assess yourself. And it's always good to, at the end of the day to kind of, you know, walk through what you did. I was working with one trader last week. Uh, looking at his stats and uh, something as simple as a three strokes in your out rule in this kind of market is is really good. So he, I was looking at his stats and it was um, it was making a loss overall, just trying to get his head around trade in this market. And he had a few different setups. And I said, right, for any particular setup, put a three strikes in your out rule in and see how it would have affected your trading. And it would have put him into profit. 
So just um, doing things like don't try keep taking the same setup if it's giving you three consecutive losses. At that point, you should say that one's not working today uh, right. and stay away from it. All right. Now, Peter, let's trade. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the indications you look for when trading a volatile market? What sort of flags you to a point where, hey, you know what? I've got an opportunity here. Something's coming up. I can see it in front of me. Talk to us about this. Um, I think one of the best ones for volatile markets is volume spikes, where you get that huge blow off, um, you know, where people get so carried away with the market going in one direction that they just uh, they just effectively kill the move. So, uh, you know, I like to see volume spikes where there's a massive increase in volume in a one-way move, and then we kind of have a little pause, and then the market starts to move in the opposite direction. Um, as long as that move in the opposite direction isn't too volatile itself. That's a great trade. Now, it doesn't always follow through, but the volume blow-offs are actually fantastic trades, and they are basically volatile market trades. The other one, as we talked already, is momentum. Right. Obviously, you know, if, you, if you're if you a 10-lot trader and you see momentum, get in one lot. You know, just fish for a position. Just try and get yourself into the market on side and then manage your size as the trade goes your way. And um, great thing to do now because, you know, you can you can get in the S&P and you can get in your one contract and don't even get into your second contract until it's moved 10 ticks. As you're averaging in, you, you, you've got, you know, you're averaging in, but you actually still got a quote. Your average price is still um, quite nice by the time you've averaged in your second contract. So that's another one. And then the pauses, the lulls, the momentary pauses that give you kind of a little bit of extra time to make a decision and get in. So it's basically, you know, watching the market pause and then you're playing a break. Usually, For me, I have this kind of one rule. If, I, if, if the market pauses and ranges, I can only trade it in the same direction it was going before. So if the market's going up and it pauses and, and starts to move sideways a bit, I can only take long trades. Yeah, Peter, uh, we're talking about a lot of markets, uh, a lot of market uh -huh. direction, yeah. uh, north, south, west, east, uh, bears and bulls. Now, uh, let's talk about some guidelines, some basic mm -hmm. guidelines. What would you stress to your traders before entering a trade and exiting a trade? Can you share with us? Yeah, so for entering a trade, make sure that correlated markets are not against you. So if you're going, if you're going along the S&P and the NASDAQ and the Dow are going down, then you're going to take heat yeah. and there's no need for that. Um, the other one, don't trade reversals. I do not believe in trading reversals on the S&P. I, I believe in fading ranges. But, you know, if a market's going up, buy it. You know, that's what the smart money's doing. And the other one is don't be afraid to pay for confirmation in ticks. You know, if you're not sure, well, let it, let it go your way first. Now, for exits, I find exits... A little bit more difficult because I like to scale out of trades. You know, I like to have targets where I think the market will go. But um, you can overmanage or overanalyze the market. So I have a gauge of the volatility uh, and kind of put my scales a bit further out. And then I'll, I'll kind of let the trade trade go. You know, as if the market starts to, to slow down and, and fade, then I'll bring the scales in. But, you know, I, I like to scale out and just let the market go. I don't want to micromanage the trade. Basically, I mean, the funny thing is, I, you know, I've got like an exit strategy that I put on that's automated when I get into a trade and it's uh, five scales out, four ticks apart. I always do the same thing. And then what I do is I'll put the trade on and then I'll just move the, the target orders out according to the volatility. And uh, I think it was Wednesday last week, I put a trade on. And by the time I got the mouse to point to the furthest exit away, which is the one I moved first. 
I'd already been filled. It like moved the 20 ticks by the time I'd moved the mouse there. So I could probably, I should probably create a new strategy <laughs> with the uh, target always a bit further out, but it just made me laugh. You know, it's never happened before. I mean, like literally I've been trading, you know, I've been watching the S&P every day since 2005, something like that. I've never seen it go that quickly my way on the trade. Do you ever adjust time frames, slower markets, faster markets? Is that ever a uh, choice you make during the trade day? No, this is going to sound really strange. I don't use time frames. I don't believe in time frames. So right. people what, say, what do you, you know, use? Well, but people talk about you know. I mean, when I when I started, people were talking about this multi MTF multi time frame analysis. You got to look at the the daily chart, the sixty, the fifteen minute, the thirty minute, the, and and when they're all pointed in the right the same direction, you get in. It's like we're not pointing the same direction. I've missed all the intraday move. So what I'm interested in where it's been, where it reacted before. Where trades are the position where they might be trapped. I, you could give me a 900 tick chart, a five minute chart, a one minute chart, a 600 tick chart. I, I wouldn't make any difference to me. As long as I know where it's been and where it's moved around. I like to have a chart where by lunchtime I can still see all the morning's activity. So really, as long as I can see what's happened in this session, which is really all I care about, then I don't care about the the bigger picture at all i mean i before i start i know where the daily charts are i know if we're near the all-time high or something like that but like intraday all i care about is where it's been and where it moved around all right now when a market's near some important levels uh, -huh. uh daily value areas previous weekly or monthly highs and lows in your experience how does the market typically react my experience is that every every level out there is a coin toss. Um, so, that, and I think there's two aspects to this. There's, I think there's bias and level. So, with bias, if you ever came into trading the S and P 500 or crude oil with a bias for the day, you're going to be wrong 90% of the time, mm -hmm. right? And you can only have a bias. You can only have a long or a short bias, right? Or I guess sideways can be a bias. So we all know that every day the S&P will swing up and down two to four times, right? Maybe, maybe more than that, you know, with this volatility. So it doesn't make any sense to go into a day on the S&P and say, I'm going long today. Because you should go into any day on the S&P saying, I'm going to go long and short and long and short, but maybe not in that order. But, you know, but that's what's going to happen. So I think having a bias – an overall bias for the day is very unhealthy. In terms of the levels, basically what I believe is that, sure, these levels will hold, but it's complete coin toss and it's random whether they do or not. And the best thing to do is wait for the level to hold and watch traders piling after us. What happens quite a lot of time is it will go to a level, it will stop there, and it will move, move away, and people will say, oh, that level's hold, and then they'll jump in. And I think if you're going to trade, if you're going to trade a level, you've got to know that whenever you trade a level, you are betting against the market. So if you're, if you see a level above you and you say that's resistance, the market has to move up to get to resistance. It has to be moving up to get to resistance or it won't get there. So if you sell resistance, you will always be selling a market that's moving up. That's why so many people lose money doing it. But if you've got that resistance level and the market goes up there and then starts moving down, people will jump on board. It's path of least resistance at that point. And so I think the best way to use a level is just say, yeah, I'm going to watch these nice levels. I like to look at value areas. I like to look at previous highs and lows, uh, older swing points. But just from the perspective of if it gets to that level and moves away, I think people will pile in and it will give me some momentum to, 
to take advantage of. You know, if it does hit a support line mm-hmm. and reverses, if it does hit a resistance line yeah. and reverses, a lot of us do trade that. I myself um, like to trade the support, mm-hmm. the resistance. I watch my pivots. I watch my yeah. settlement. And a, a lot of it plays out. Uh, if you've got Absolutely. A, you know, I mean, if you've got a good support line uh, early this morning, you know, I'm watching and it was like a bottom line. Of course, there was a few trades that slipped below that. Uh, that support line, but you know nothing really got by it, and you know you know what that's telling me is uh, either uh, you know, traders are not in the market, uh, or there's not enough sellers to take out the buyers. Buyers are keeping it up above that line. But what do you see? You know, there's a lot of nudging around. I mean, if you're watching order flow like I do, you can see a lot of fun and games going on in the depth dome. You know, they're really like you go to any high, you go to any high of the day, back to the high of the day, the offers are stacked above the high in the day, always without doubt. It doesn't make any difference to whether it'll hold or not, right? They're all stacked. So there's all these things that go on in the markets where, you know, people are trying to fake other traders out. So the way I figure it, everybody else can do all the heavy lifting in making the market reverse. You know, let everybody else move it around. And um, once it starts moving down the hill, I'll just uh, jump on and, and try and get a bit out of that move. And so I'm just trying to tip the odds in my favor from buying a market that's moving down because I think it's going to change what it's doing now and do something else to waiting for a new move and uh, getting in a trade where I'm going to make money if the market continues doing what it's already doing. Implied volatility. Yeah. Um, Unsurprisingly, a poor predictor. I mean, it's it's impossible to estimate accurately the impact on asset prices of political developments, natural disasters, wars, financial events. What are your thoughts on implied volume? Right. Basically, this all comes from options traders, right? I mean, and they're kind of doing a lot of insurance. I mean, the the, the I'm very much in the camp of people like uh, Taleb, Nassim Taleb. You know, I remember Black Monday and uh, Black Skulls was a, an option pricing formula. And uh, they got a Nobel Prize for option pricing formula. And the option pricing formula caused one of the biggest crashes in the history of the markets. And um, when you get into that kind of thing, uh, you know, implied volatility is based on the, um, the pricing of options. The, the pricing of options obviously is based on option trading, and a lot of the option trading is based on very iffy quant formulas. And um, there's a great book on it. There's one book called Lecturing Birds on Flying by Pablo Triana. And um, it talks about the mathematics behind all of this stuff and about how the guys that are kind of putting this stuff together, they haven't got a lot of common sense. So, you know, the whole thing about, I think it was Black Monday, the crash, was this thing called portfolio insurance where you could basically insure your position in a certain way and get out of the market in a certain way where you could pretty much protect yourself against losses. And the only downside of that formula was it would stop working if everybody did it. <laughs> and the problem oh. was everybody did it. And so that was it. So when I look at things like implied volatility, it brings all that stuff to mind. And it's like, yeah, the, there's probably too many people doing it for it to be – for it to be accurate. And there's probably everybody's doing it probably because they've got some quant telling them that they've got to take these options positions to hedge and all that kind of stuff. And I think to really take that as a predictor of anything, after reading books like Taleb and Triana, 
you kind of grow to mistrust that kind of thing. And, and then the other thing is, like, obviously, the market opens in the morning and the news of that morning is going to throw it out anyway. So for stuff like that, to me, it's too quantity to trust, to be honest. Okay. Now, <laughs> ensuring your trading. Now, honestly, I would imagine Lloyd's of London would be the, probably the only company to do that uh, due mm -hmm. to the fact that they insured Evil Knievel. So <laughs> are they still in business, by the way? I don't know. They are indeed. They are. I'm not sure Evil Knievel is. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not, but uh, they insured him. Anyway... From a long-term perspective, Peter, it's not a great idea to wait until volatility wanes uh, or for any other type of action to occur. It's impossible uh, to time the market with any level of accuracy. We trade in shorter terms, of course. Now, what must we do differently in short term? I think you've got a couple of things to do, right? So if you're a short-term trader, Normally, and I'll say it again, this current increase in volatility is extreme. So waiting for this to fade isn't that bad idea. But it's, it's really simple. As much as you think you might be trading a market as a trader, what you're actually doing is you're trading a set of conditions. So if you trade crude or if you trade gold or if you trade S&P, they've got their own volatility footprints. They, the crude is more volatile than gold, and gold is more volatile than S&P, mm -hmm. right? And it's really when you're trading crude, you're trading that kind of volatility profile. You're trading that relationship of liquidity to market orders and just the way that works in that market. Now, when the markets become thinner, one of the things you can do is look for a different market with the sort of volatility you're used to. So if crude gets too busy for you, step down to gold. Um, gold gets too busy for you, step down to the euro. Uh, euro gets too busy to you, step down to the S&P. S&P gets busy, step down to the treasuries. So you can step down from your – when your market goes to an extreme in terms of volatility, go down to a less volatile market. That less volatile market will probably be more, more volatile than it usually is and will be giving you the kind of conditions that you used to – in your market at more normal time. So that's definitely one of the things you can do and, and definitely absolutely a viable option. So you might find, for instance, the ultra bonds are trading more like the S&P than the S&P right now. And so that those conditions are just look for your conditions somewhere else. I think that's probably one of the best things. And, um, you know, you're going to have to change approach. You know, if you want to stick with the same market, you've got to change approach. And if, if you don't have the tools in your toolbox, that give you that approach, you can't learn it on the fly. Right. You know, you're not you're not going to learn it on the fly in this market. It's going to chew you up, basically. Right. You have to adjust. It's like yeah. when I get in my wife's car. You know, it's like I got to wedge myself in there, and then uh, you know, <laughs> it, move the seat, move the steering wheel, and where's yeah. the seatbelt? And you know, everybody's different, and it, you've got to find the most comfortable most agreeable market that fits your trading style. It's, it, it might take a while, too. It might take you uh, a, a few markets. You know, jump on this one because my buddy Joe's trading it. Uh, you know what? I'm, I, that's not for me. I need to find something else. Like you said, you know, it, and you gave us a level, starting at something uh, bigger, quicker. Now, not me. Move it down a level. Okay, this market, mm -hmm. eh, not there yet. It, it's sort of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You know, yeah. uh, this one's too hot. This one's too cold. Hey, you know what? This one's just right. Peter, when, when we do see the, the stock market 
plunge. Now, back to volatility. We're going to see volatility returning. The VIX on Wall Street, they call it the fear gauge for a reason. It measures how much volatility traders expect. Yeah. What can we take out of that and apply to our daily trades? I think that it's an interesting one, the VIX, because um, it is fairly accurate. Mm -hmm. But I think it's more like a chicken and egg thing. I think that HFTs react to the VIX. It used to be like the moment the VIX went over 24, all the liquidity would go. And I'm sure that level's changed. But basically, um, I kind of believe, I can't prove it, but I do believe that the um, market makers or HFTs uh, react to the VIX. Mm -hmm. So I do think the, the VIX is um, a very interesting thing. Now, obviously, the VIX, it's not going to adjust intraday, you know, that much. So you can't expect the VIX to, you know, react to Donald Trump's latest hairstyle or whatever the latest thing is in the news, right? Mm -hmm. But usually looking at the VIX, the close of yesterday, when you're going into today, gives you a really good idea of what the volatility is going to be like. So if the, you've seen the VIX spike, um, the prior day, it's a good indication for the current trading day. I never go into a day without looking at the VIX first. It's either magic or the simple fact is that people are, you know, the HFTs and market makers are reacting to it and adjusting their strategies. And then that's not so magic, but it seems like magic when the if VIX gets really low. It kind of is a precursor to that, that change in uh, volatility. But like I say, if, if there's an earthquake somewhere, the market will move before the VIX moves. So that's your daily rule. Check out the VIX, the index first thing. That's, that's part of your pre-market prep. Yeah, always have a look at the VIX. Always want to know what's happening. What else do you look at uh, for a pre-market prep? What else gets you started in the morning? Um, I just want to, I want to know, you know, where we closed yesterday. I'm a, I'm a morning trader mostly, so I don't really know what happened, uh, uh, how the day played out. Uh, so I want to catch up with how the day played out. How are the overnights playing out? I want to know where we where we're opening in relation to uh, where we were when the stock market closed, because obviously the futures market can move a long way while the stock market's closed, and then when the futures market opens, then the stocks haven't had a chance to kind of catch up, and uh, not that the stocks will naturally catch up, the the markets will realign, but you don't know who's going to get pushed and who's going to get pulled. But quite often, you know, if you've got things like where if the futures have dropped 50 points and you're up from 50 points down, quite often you'll get a move up in the futures, which is completely fake or there's no follow through to it. Just It's just that readjustment. So that's really important. And, and I just like to see where we are overall. I mean, if we're near the all time high, you've got to mark that on there. I mean, you, it doesn't happen so much now, but you, you remember in the pits, Eddie, you know, you get to the all time high and all of a sudden everyone's getting really excited and they're all making a noise and they're all buying it. And so you need to know where the levels are, the big levels, but you don't need to know where the Ichimoku cloud or the moon phase is or whatever, you know, all right. that stuff. You, just need, you need to know the big things, the big, the big places. And, um, and you need to know what the, what's in the news because, um, you know, if the market does drop overnight and there's nothing in the news, that's one thing. If the market drops overnight and, you know, China's threatened to nuke Taiwan, you've got a different expectation in terms of follow through. You know, you've got to think maybe America is going to react. You know, the American market trades are going to react even more violently than the Europeans did mm -hmm. to this move. And so it's like, you know, you've got, you've got to know if there's, sure. a, if there's a, a why behind any overnight moves. So those are really the big things. Yeah, we, we do see that a lot. You know, the overnight, gosh, this market uh, hasn't moved. You know, there really isn't any new news. 
And, you know, then uh, we open up here uh, in the States and the market goes crazy. And then sometimes, you know, you see the overnight going, oh, my God, you see that high that it made? We're nowhere near that high. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's it's night and day. It's night yeah. and day. Now, Peter, you, you talk to many traders with many different perspectives. Now, where do you see progression or electronic traders and how they're going to progress in the future? What do you what do you see down the road? It's interesting because, you know, sometimes I speak to some of the older guys that are screen traders. They don't really see a massive change. I mean, there's been a change. There are some markets you stay away from because, like, um, HFTs, HFTs have, I mean, they, they've literally killed some markets to the point where they don't, you know, they only move a few cents a day. Um, but really, you know, I'm not a very good predictor, but, um, you know, I'm, I, I think the markets are still emotional. And so, you know, on one hand, you could say, well, AI, artificial intelligence is going to put us all out of business. But then you think, but, you know, this is such an emotional game. This is such a, a game where people are getting caught offside and, go, and, and the market's running against them. I mean, you can, like, you know, if you understand the emotion and you, and you can see that playing out of the game, there's so much emotion involved in this and people losing and people puking out and all that kind of thing. I really don't know. I really don't know whether it's going to be uh, – you know, the rise of the machines um, or whether it's going to be it's always going to be an emotional game because humans are behind it at the end of the day. You know, I mean, if it, if it just became machines trading against machines, where would the I don't know what would happen. It would do to me. It would almost seem like the markets would flatline because there would because you if you take that emotion out of it. That fear of loss. I'm not sure where we get all the moves from. You know, what I would think markets would be really tight, and it'd just be yeah. a, a, you know, it would be corralled where the mm -hmm. uh, the algos would just be fighting back and forth, back and forth, back and mm -hmm. forth until they ran out of volume. Then they'd move to the next level. Is there, yeah. you know, volume up there? And now you got an, another uh, corralled area where it's just back and forth, back and forth. I agree exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's if they all became as smart as each other then like they'd all want to buy and nobody would want to sell, right? Because they'd all have the same opinion. Right, right. You know, it's like I, one of the funny things I, um, when you hear about people talking about some of the market profile and volume profile techniques, you know, they call these areas where a lot of people trade, you know, it's like they say it's where the market reached consensus or where the market's in agreement or the market's balanced. And to me, if you trade, you know, if you have one very tight area where you trade thousands and thousands of contracts, to me, that's the area where there was the most disagreement. Because for you to trade like twenty or 30,000 contracts over a couple of prices, it means you've got a ton of people who are buying and a ton of people who are selling, and they have got exactly the opposite opinion at the same price. And if you went to emotionless electronic markets, you would actually have the opposite. You'd have everybody with the same opinion at the same price, and you'd have a one-sided market. You would not be anybody on the other side. Right. Be like going to like a car factory that, uh, you know, machines are putting together cars and the conversation <laughs> would you do over the weekend would probably be nil. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, It'd be riveting. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I mean, putting the personal touch, we do see more of a fluctuation in markets and a slide and here and there. And uh, everybody's got their own ideas. Now, Peter, I just want to say thank you very much for being with us here today, uh, talking about volatility, uh, talking about uh, some of the rules and some of the uh, ideas and visions uh, of yours and, and traders. But before we go, uh, yep. I want you to please share with us 
where we can find you online. And before we go there, I just want to say, if you have not heard of Jigsaw Trading, uh, I highly suggest that you go check it out. Uh, trading product of the year, uh, the trading journal of the year. That's uh, Peter. You do that journal each and every uh -huh. day, pre-market prep. And uh, got a great community. And, of course, a uh, fantastic guy here, Peter Davies. Peter, tell us online where we can find you. Um, jigsawtrading.com, www.jigsawtrading, and that's all one word, .com. Uh, you can find me there. You can contact me there. Uh, you can find the blog. Um, a lot of free, uh, free stuff, free resources on there if you want to uh, have a good look through it. Peter, how about Twitter? Yeah, my uh, Twitter handle is Jigsaw Trading with an underscore in the middle. And so usually put out my pre-market prep there and uh, links to new blog posts, that kind of thing. Peter, once again, thank you very much. Uh, a good friend, fantastic educator, uh, big knowledge you share with a lot of people, and uh, we appreciate it. No problem, Eddie, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Peter Davies, Jigsaw Trading. Check it out. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Eddie. And we're back. Now, if there's one thing you took from this interview, I took is that Peter's consistent and he doesn't unnecessarily put orders on for no apparent reason. He does watch the markets intently and uh, he only looks for trades in his favor. Yeah, Eddie, it, it all made perfect sense. His main focus is where the market has been, where position trades might be trapped and moved around. He's really a professional when it comes to knowing where a market's been and where it can go. Yeah, I, I agree also. And uh, his morning prep is something I faithfully uh, look for each and every trade day. Yeah, Peter's actually a member of our Facebook trading community. He's always offering friendly comments, engaging in the conversation. Our, our group really loves that he's in there. You know, I like to see when he does come in there and comment on uh, some of the questions, some of the suggestions, and some of the market talk that we do have on our Facebook community. And we encourage our educators, uh, psychologists, and affiliates to be part of our Top Step trading community also. Yeah, and you know it better than most people, Eddie, how social the trading floor used to be. It was a very social job, and we've lost a lot of that with screen trading. So our goal with the Facebook group is to keep that sense of community amongst traders. And I really encourage all of the traders listening to join the group if you're not already part of it, because it's super easy to join. All you need to do is go to topsteptrader.com slash Facebook. You'll answer three easy questions. Once you request to join, you'll get approved by one of our admins, and then you can start engaging in the conversation. The only thing we ask is that you follow our group rules, and once you join the group, you'll see a nice video from Eddie welcoming you to the group, and mm -hmm. he'll explain all the rules and what to do in the community, and it's a great time. I really hope a lot more traders join the group. I hope so, too. Actually, I've put this in my arsenal for trading tools because there's just so much information being shared and uh, lots of market talk and uh, areas of interest. So what is it again? It's topsteptrader.com slash Facebook. Super easy. I'd like to see you there. So please join up. And Annie, I'd like to say thank you for joining us here today uh, with Peter Davies podcast. I uh, hope you can join us again here soon. Yeah, I'd love to, Eddie. Thanks. It was a great time. All right, traders, as always, thanks for spending time with us. And if you enjoyed this interview, please feel free to leave us a rating or review. Now, remember, it helps us reach new traders. Until then, we'll see you next time. Annie, take care. Thanks a lot. You too. Bye, Eddie. Editing and post-production of this episode was done by Dante32. 
Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.